So please turn to Philippians. We're in the book of Philippians and we are in um, chapter 2. We're in chapter 2 of Philippians. And we've learned so far in this wonderful epistle that Paul had a desire for this church, a desire for this church to be a healthy, rejoicing church in relation to one another. We learned that believers that have the peace of God and the grace of God that he began in them, we learned that Paul had such an affection and a joy and a love and a yearning to see them with the affections of Christ. And Paul prayed for them that they may grow together in love and in unity, encouraging them, that saying to them that even though I am in prison, the gospel is not bound so much so, much so that it enhanced. The people came to save in faith all the more whilst Paul was in prison. And he's, and he's telling the, the believers in Philippi that he would rather be with Christ for him to, to, to leave his Christ and to die his gain. And he continues to encourage the believers to live worthy of the gospel, to live as citizens of heaven, to live like soldiers and, and to be like athletes together for the gospel, for the grace that was given to them was not given to them only to be saved, but also to suffer for Christ's sake. And then we come to chapter 2, where we see in this chapter the beauty of unity and humility. Our text for this morning, the Apostle Paul almost put this in the middle of this epistle, where our sanctification, our unity, our growth, our humility lies upon. In this chapter, we have seen already that Christ is the example of that humility and for unity, as we will see even so now. And Paul is an example of humility. You find that Timothy is an example of humility. And Aphrodite is an example of humility. And in these two verses, there seems to be like a, a fork in the road where many Christians have struggled to understand what does it mean to pursue holiness and to be united and to be humble. Who is responsible for my sanctification? Do I have the responsibility? Do I have the ability to make myself holy, pure, blameless and humble? Or is it just God? Does God do all the work and I take the back seat? Or one person says that God has saved you alone. But now it's up to you to do all this work. You move all by yourself. The other said, well, God is sovereign. He that began the good work in you will complete it. And we will agree with that. But they take that back seat and say, God will work that out for you and take no responsibility in their sanctification, in their unity, in their holy living, in their walking right with God, and their unity within the body of Christ. And they become lazy Christians. What we see in these few verses is the blood flowing of Christians with Christians and God. We come face to face with the truth that it is 
us working and God working. It is us working out and God working in. We're moving forward and God moves us forward. It's a crucial text. Which text is it? Well, it's chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. I've titled this sermon, the, the, the Work of Sanctification, and we will look at the second part next time, God willing. And just two points for this morning, which we will see from the text itself. Let me read the text first. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Simple outline. Believers have a responsibility for sanctification. God gives the ability for that sanctification. And Paul then begins, after everything that he has said, so then, therefore, in conclusion to what? Where's he's been taking us through? How to connect dots in the Bible. So we have to go back in comparison to what? Why is Paul bringing this conclusion? So then, my beloved, so then what? We go back to chapter 2 and verse 9. For this reason, God highly exalted him. For what reason? Let's go back and let's look at verse 5. For have this attitude among yourself also, which was in Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God. He regarded equality, did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and taken the form of a bondservant and be made in the likeness of man, being a Appeared in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, then it's referring back. This Paul is saying, in conclusion, to Christ's obedience, to, to what Jesus has accomplished. When Jesus obeyed to the point of death, when he emptied himself, he became a slave, he humbled himself, and it pleased the Father to highly exalt him, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to Jesus Christ, to the God, to, to the glory of God. Then Paul begins to say, Now, my beloved, Pay attention. In conclusion to that, then he begins by saying, my beloved. I love that. Do you know why? Because we are beloved. And Paul wants to encourage the church. And he says, now that you have seen his great example, know that you are beloved. You are beloved of God. This is an expression between two people who have such an affection for one another, a deep desire to outdo one another. This speaks about unconditional love. You are loved. 
with no strings attached. And Paul wants them to know this is a supernatural love. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that this morning, before we move to hard truths, that you are beloved by God. God loved you before the foundation of the world and He caused that loving to be exalted in Christ when He caused you to be born again. He has love towards you. His love towards us does not alter. It does not fail. It is unconditionally. And Paul is never short of revealing his love for them that Christ has for them. That keeps him humbled. He says to them, look at Christ, your example. You are loved. Look at Christ so that you can know what to do next. And he says, just as you always obeyed. I want you to pay attention to this, brothers and sisters, because Chapter 2, verse 12 of Philippians, it is often quoted, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But we tend to miss the first part of verse 12, because the first part says, just as you have always obeyed. Just as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You don't work something out for the sake of working out. you got to know what you're working out. This has to do with obedience. Obedience to what? Do nothing from selfish and empty conceit. Look at the interest of others, brothers and sisters. Not merely look at your own personal interest. Have this attitude amongst yourselves. Later on, next time, it says, do nothing, verse 14, chapter 2, without grumbling and disputing. What are we working out? Well, here Paul says, just as you've always obeyed. Always obeyed. He doesn't say, sometimes you obeyed. He doesn't say you obeyed only when you felt like it. You were obedient only when it was convenient to you. And I am proud in Christ to say that you, my beloved brethren, I have seen you obey under such tyranny that was happening with COVID. We obeyed. We did not allow COVID to overrule our obedience to Christ because it was inconvenient. We obeyed. Paul says always. What does that mean? It means continuously. On every occasion, all the time, every day, month to month, year by year, since the day that Paul planted this church, these believers were showing their obedience to the gospel. Paul is revealing here that believers that fall in love with Jesus Christ, they don't fall out of love with Christ. Their love for Jesus increases even with their flaws and their failures and all of that. Their love for Christ increases. Some may be lazy in obeying, 
But let me tell you something now. Do not, do not forget this. God chastises those whom he loves. And if you're a child of God and you say, I'm not in sin, but you're not moving forward with the bride of Christ, you will be disciplined by God. Because we are called to unity. We are called to be joyful together. As I'm sure Brother Wes will teach us that through the Lord's Supper, it's got to do with the unity of the body. It's not an individual act. It's a family act. The one who claims to know Christ and has been bought with the blood of Jesus and has been changed not to obey the things of the flesh, but the things of God, he will join the psalmist in saying, Oh Lord, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. For I delight in your law. I delight in being obedient. I delight to serve my brethren. I delight to be a slave to my brethren. I delight to outdo my brethren. I am encouraged by my brethren. And the word here to obey, it is a word that speaks of hearing. It is a word that speaks of when you hear something, you will submit to what you hear. Some of you have kids. How often do you say to your children, did you hear what I said? Do you not say that or is it just me with my own kids? You say, did you hear what I said? But are you saying you don't have any ears to your kids? The exception, maybe some may not. I don't think some here will have ears. We say to our kids, did you hear what I, he- what I said? And they humbly say, yes, dad, you only told me 15 times. Well, why did you have to tell your child 15 times? Did you hear what I said? Do you know why? Because he was not obeying. So you say it over and over again. This is what this word is talking about. Obedience is a word that we hear, but it has an action with it. That you obey And Paul is saying the children of God who hear the word of God from the day that they're born again, they hear it and they hear it well. And how do we know they're hearing it? Because they're obeying it. When Jesus was speaking about the four soils uh, that the seed fell on hard ground and among the thorns and 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 on rocky ground, and, and when he gave that one where he spoke about that it fell on good soil and a good soil that brought fruit, uh, fourth fruit of of repentance, some thirty, some sixty fold, some a hundred fold. Jesus in Mark four nine, he said, "He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear." He says it twice. Maybe it's for each ear. Let him hear. That's the same word. It's the same word. It's the same root word as obedience. In other words, Jesus said, if you heard what I said, then obey. There is a reason why Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my sheep, they hear my voice. And what do they do after they hear Jesus' voice? They say, oh, man, Jesus loves me. And they go on with their merry life. And I say, I am saved by grace. 
and they go on and they're just comfortable in this world. No. Jesus says, they know me and they follow me. And what Paul is saying here is you've seen the perfect example of Christ. So then, my beloved brethren, since you've always obeyed, look to Christ, listen to his voice and follow. This this word, by the way, obeyed, it is a plural word in the Greek, which means God is talking to every individual believer within that church and they are all responsible to work out their own salvation within the body of Christ. You don't work out your salvation so that you can be alone. Paul didn't just grab these two verses and dump them in there and said, you work out your salvation all by yourself and just be okay with yourself. The purpose of that is for unity. The purpose of that is to bring people closer. And this word makes people cringe. You know, the word obedience makes people cringe. They hate it. We Christians ought to love the word obedience. Why? Jesus obeyed to the point of death, even death on the cross, that we may have life. I'm saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, through Jesus alone. You're being legalistic, Ralph. Okay. Well, let me read you what Titus says. Titus says in chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, I'll remind you, this is still the Apostle Paul talking to Titus, the same writer of Philippians. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to do what? To deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for what? For good deeds. Jesus said in John 36, uh, 3.36, rather, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, and he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. <clears throat> Obedience is the hallmark of a Christian life. As much as we don't want to admit this, that grace that God gave us, Paul is saying, is going to be reflected in your life. And then Paul continues to say, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. He speaks of the responsibility. Yes, Paul is commanding them. He's saying, that's fantastic. You've obeyed when I was with you. I encouraged you. Paul, no doubt, was a compassionate. We see his compassion and his love. He would have been a great leader to lead these people to holy living. 
to leave them to lead them to still waters to drink from the well of life where they will be satisfied but paul says that's great but you don't have to please me whilst i'm not there do it all the more do it all the more take responsibility for your own actions I can only lead you there. You must take your responsibility for your own actions. Think of your leaders in this church. Now think Paul is not with them anymore. What if God were to remove your leaders right now and they'll be in prison? They're going to encourage you that we've seen you obey. We've seen you move forward. We've seen you encourage one another. Do it all the more whilst we're not with you. Well, Christ is with you. Christ is there with you. Don't despair, Paul is saying. Keep moving. Keep going forward. I was there with you. I can't be there with you. But God is with you. Keep on obeying. Bring forth fruit. And then he says, work it out. Work it out. Working it out. Work means it's a, by the way, it's a command. It's an imperative. You actually are called to do this. If you're calling yourself a believer today and you're part of Saving Grace Bible Church, especially as a member, you are called to work it out. You are called to work it out. In fact, it's emphatic in the Greek. It says work out your own personal salvation. Paul didn't mean just to work out to earn salvation. No, this is talking about sanctification. Sanctification. Work it out. Work out where you're failing. Work out where you have failed to love what? We cannot get out of this chapter. Are you loving your brethren? Are you in one mind? Are you maintaining the same love? the same spirit, the same purpose. In fact, you can go back and you can say, are you striving together? Are you soldiers together for the grace of God? And then we can look forward to verse 14. Are you doing things without grumbling? Work it out. <laughs> Work this out. Your leadership can only take you to the waters as Paul was taking them to the waters. And we encourage one another. And trust me when I say, we rejoice when you move forward. But it's up to you to move forward. It's up to you to say, I want to work out my salvation. I want to work out my salvation because it's an imperative and it's in the present tense, which means you got to continuously do this. And this word itself means working it out, it produces fruit. It speaks about something that will bring something else to completion. It is to aim for a goal. It is to work for a purpose. And this takes effort, brothers and sisters. Working takes determination. It takes passion. It takes zeal. And it takes the willingness to achieve that attendant goal. 
It takes devotion. It takes time and it takes perseverance. We don't sit around and wait for it. We move forward. We press forward for the upward goal. Uh, women, we're, we're not called to enter the narrow gate, strive to enter the narrow gate, and just as you get into the narrow gate, you just hang around the gate until Jesus takes you home. No, brothers and sisters, we are called to strive and keep striving to be reminded that we are pilgrims who are making their way to the celestial city where God is preparing a city for them. Amen. Sanctification, this requires discipline. I'm meditating on this and I'm thinking, what a shame when I read First John that someone will enter into the kingdom of God with shame because they were lazy and they were caught up in the kingdom of this world and forgetting what they were here for. First John says, little children abide in him. Be with Him. Be in the center with Christ so that when He appears, we will have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame. There are going to be Christians who will enter the kingdom of God with shame. Who did not use their talents, nor use their gifts, nor use their time for Christ and His body. What are we meant to do? We're meant to work out our salvation until we are completely exhausted. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Paul writes about himself in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, when's the last time that you woke up in the morning and I say, I discipline my body and I'm going to make my body my slave? Paul is saying we are to push until we can push no more. We are to run until our legs are exhausted. We are to work and work and work because Rest comes in the morning at the resurrection. Work out your salvation. But he doesn't stop there. Stay with me, brothers. I will bring you grace in a minute. But we're not there yet. Because he says, work it out with fear and trembling. Something we don't want to hear. I'm saved by God and I'm saved by grace. I don't have that fear anymore. We're not talking about fear of condemnation. We are talking about as a son to a father who does not want to disappoint him. And he has a fear, such respect of daddy, that he has fear and trembling towards him. If we don't have this kind of fear and trembling towards the God who saved us, then how can we move forward? How can we deal with our sin issues? Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he was in fear and trembling. John, when he saw the Lord in Revelation, he was in fear and trembling. But here we are in 2022 
We don't have fear and trembling with God. We can approach God and we can do whatever we want. It is no wonder that we are stale to grow. We have no respect for the things of God. This type of fear is a reverence for God that would lead us to have a healthy view of our own sinfulness, of our own laziness, our own complacement, our own self-joy and self-drive in this world. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God sees exactly your own heart. He sees when you find excuses to love, to serve, to proclaim the gospel, to be humble and to be holy with your brethren. And as I said before, if you're a child of God, God will discipline you for it. God will bring discipline to you. Now some of you are thinking, wow, Ralph, this is hard. I'm not Jesus. I'm not Paul, I'm not Timothy or Aphroditus. How can I do this? I am definitely not Christ. Well, there is hope, brethren, with our second point. There is hope. Our second point, God gives the ability for sanctification. Verse 13, for it is God. God who is at work in you. It is God. I want you to think about this, brethren. I pray that this just blesses your socks off and lifts you up on high, that our hearts will be warmed in working out our sanctification, working out towards humility, working out holiness and moving forward, for it is God who, the creator of all things, The God who began all things, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who made you in his image to rule and to reign over the earth. The one who provides for you food and jobs and rain and sun and joy and peace and love. The all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the all-present God, the eternal God, the wise God, the righteous God, the unchangeable God, the only God, the one who cannot lie, He's at work in you. Did you get that? He is at work in you. This God is at work in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. See, Paul is moving forward. He's working hard. Paul was a hard worker for the gospel, planted churches, preached the gospel. He's in prison. He was shipwrecked. We've touched on this. But he says, the grace of God with me. It's not I. It is the grace of God in me and with me. You see, Hebrews 13, 20 to 21 says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good work 
to do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is at work. In fact, this word is a participle, which means God is continuously working by himself inside every individual. Continually at work. What does that mean? God is the energy within you that causes you to move forward. God has that power to move you forward. We have the responsibility for our salvation, working out our salvation, but it is God who gives us the ability to bring that to fulfillment. We're not alone. God is the cause and and what happens is the effect. As you move forward, God gave you a new heart and new desires, new affections. He also says, I will cause them to walk in my statutes. Isn't it wonderful? If this God is at work in us, if he's not at work in us, there cannot be true sanctification. At best, you're nothing more than an unbeliever who's trying to earn grace or a self-righteous Pharisee who's relying on his own self-confidences. We've heard Brother Wes talking about that with Peter. If God is not giving you the ability and the strength and the power by the Holy Spirit to move you forward, then who's moving you? We cannot move on our own. God moves us. But we don't sit around and say, God, move us. We work with God. I don't know how many of you have heard the word monogism and synergism. Okay, Monogism is God does the work in salvation alone. Synergism is that God works with you in your sanctification together. That is a mystery and it is a humbling thing. He gives us the ability and he says he works in you. It's not your elders working in you. It's not your brothers working in you, although God uses them to help you. No, this is a comforting thing. It is God who was at work inside of you. And I pray that this morning God is working in you right now. I pray that God is working in you, in your weaknesses, in your struggles, in your cares, in your temptation, in your laziness, in your comfort comfort of your own home or your own headspace. God is at work. He doesn't say, make yourself holy. He says, be holy. But God is always at work in us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, now to him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Uh, For this reason, the Apostle Paul could say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul is laboring in Colossians 1.29 in his ministry according to his own strength. Is he doing it because he's superhuman? Or does he have something different than other believers have? No, Colossians 1.29 says according to his power, 
God's power which he mightily works within me. That's what we see here in, in verse 13. God is the energizer in a believer's life. You're not alone. It would be cruel of God to begin the good work in you and say, now do it all by yourself. This wouldn't be a loving God, a gracious God, a God who's always present, who's always with you. He's a comforter. Well, that wouldn't be the God of the Bible. Because he says, now that I saved you, now you work it out all by yourself. No, God is with us. He cares for us. He loves us. I've given this illustration before, but I'll give it again just for the sake of this sermon. Picture this. Picture yourself working, because we're talking about working it out. So picture yourself in a gym working out. You want to go to a gym for the purpose of working out. And the purpose of working out is to build muscles. And you go to the gym and you eat well and you do all these things. But I've got thinking. In the gym, you always have someone helping you. You know, there's always a PT or there's someone who's spotting you. When I get to the spiritual gym of God, if I could use that as an illustration, to work out my spiritual muscle, and I'm benching so much. There's so much stress in my life. There's so much, oh, Lord, I can't handle this. And I'm about to drop the weights on my chest. I, I, I don't do that, but it's, a, it's an illustration. Guess who's spotting me? God. God is there with me all the way. Hey, he will not allow these weights to be dropped on me. Isn't that wonderful? He's there helping me all the way. At best, if I'm disobedient, perhaps he can just hold there a whole lot longer. Until you push, until you say, Lord, I'm undone. Help me through this. He is at work in you. This is a promise, brothers and sisters. He is at work in you. That's his promise. I'll always be with you to the end of the age. He doesn't say, I'm only going to be with you when you're okay. When you're good, when you're prosperous, if you're a believer, God is with you in all, all your troubles and all your trials and all your tribulation. And so Paul is encouraging the believers here, move forward, move, go forward, work it out. Don't be lazy. You are called. This is your command. But know this, in that command, you've got the promise of God who's actually moving with you strengthening you, giving you energy. And then he says, look at verse 13, both to will and to work. Did you get that? Now I looked at this and I had to make sure whose will and whose work is this. Now we know that God's will and his desire is for us to move forward. And, and he desires nothing but for us to worship God and but this is talking about God producing a will in us, a desire and an affection and a purpose and a goal and a pleasure in us so that we can work out our salvation. Did you get that? What a wonderful God. He's producing in every believer a desire to move forward, 
a desire and an affection for the things of God. He gives every believer this. It begins with God. This has been a problem since the Reformation, this verse. People have struggled. It's saying, some say, if God has commanded us to obey, then we have the power to move on our own, which, biblically speaking, we are called to move forward, and we must obey that command. Another responded, what God requires, God supplies. In other words, if God is telling us to move forward, he will supply the strength for us to move forward. Paul speaking about Titus in 2 Corinthians, he says, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest in your behalf in the heart of Titus. So God puts something in the heart of Titus, right? An earnestness for these people. But then he says, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, now that's Titus, he has gone to you out of his own accord. You see that? Gods are working in Titus and Titus is moving forward. That's what we are called to do. The Lord himself will put those affections in the believers to bring forth holy living as the believers are moving forward. We see our lives sometimes and realize, man, how, how far do we fall back? Am I really united to this church? Am I really serving this church the way God says? Because this chapter too, it's about unity and humility. The whole chapter. And then Paul then concludes this section with a climax. For it is God who was at work in you both to will and to work. Why? For his good pleasure. Why does God work in the believers? It brings him pleasure. God is pleased when his believers are living holy, blameless, when they're being transformed in the likeness of Christ, when they are seeing the needs of others above theirs, when they put themselves aside and serve the brethren. This is within the body of Christ. Let's leave the world outside. That's what the text is talking. God takes pleasure to see a feeble, weak believer who is broken over their own sin and who relies on God. He finds pleasure in that, we ought to find pleasure and treasure in God. He has pleasure in that, and we ought to have pleasure in Him. Why? He's holy. He's righteous. He's just without sin. He's pure. He's spotless. He's clean, perfect. And this Jesus humbled Himself. You know, we often quote the scriptures, God is angry at the wicked every day. And we say that proudly, right? It's angry at the wicked every single day. And that's true when we're speaking of unbelievers. 
But should God be pleased with the believers who are lazy, who are in sin, who don't care for the body of Christ? Should God be pleased with that? Because this is telling me God works in us for his good pleasure. Why? So that Christ will be manifested in your life. You see, this is, these two verses are not so much a fork in the road hard to understand. They are hard to apply. They, they are hard to, not to comprehend. They are hard to apply. Why? Because we are called to move forward. That's the hard thing of this verse 12. Work it out. That's what Paul is saying. It's a command, just like any other commands in the Bible, that we ought to obey it. Work it out. So what do we do with this? Don't we work hard at many things? Don't you work hard to pay off your house? Don't you work hard to pay off your car, your glasses? Don't you work hard? Some of you, I don't know who, but I hate garden, but you know, you prune and and you plant, and you plant, and you plant, and you plant. You work hard at that. You work hard, right? Shouldn't we work hard for the things of God? I mean, shouldn't we? We ought to take seriously walking and working hard for the kingdom of God. And we ought to do that with fear and trembling with the Lord and be humbled at this work. But remember, when you sin, when you've fallen, when you don't know what to do, when your affections and, and your directions and, and your mind has gone somewhere else, flee to Christ. Run to Jesus. But can I say something? Why aren't you running to your brethren? Why aren't you running to them? Because God has put them in your life for that very reason, so that you can help one another. How can we put to practice, brothers and sisters, do nothing out of selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility regard one another more important? How can we do that if we don't do that with one another? And we ought to do that with fear and trembling. Here's how we can do it. Romans chapter 12, don't go there, I'll read it for you. You know the passage really well. But you can turn there. After Paul, the apostle, gives you a nice spill of 11 chapters of sanctification and justification and glorification, all the Asians, from chapter 1 to verse 11. Chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, who? Brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. And verse 2 says, 
and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mindset needs to change. Your mind needs to change so that you may prove what the will of God is. How can you prove the will of God if your mind is set on the things of this world? How do we do that? That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Then the question is today, in accordance to what we've studied, what will you do today? What will you do today? Are you working out your salvation? Are you taking responsibility for your actions? In fact, in fact, are you taking responsibility for not acting as well? Because it's very easy for us to say, well, I'm not in sin, so I'm living in my own little sphere, my own little world. God will discipline you for that because he tells you to move forward and he tells you to love your brethren and he tells you to actually serve them and outdo them. Has Christ moved your affections to work, to obey, to love, to serve? Well, the Apostle Paul says, I love this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. That would have to include us. And he died for all, for what purpose? so that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. But we have struggles, right? We have to deal with our flesh. We have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We are told to crucify the flesh. Whatever is hindering you, tribulations and, and trials and, and persecutions, do you know that God will refine you through that? Did you know that? Through your suffering, God can do some amazing miracles. Some of you saw the little clip that I put on with Joni Erickson. What a humbling thing. Oh, man, I, I, I'm humbled by that. To say, I would rather be a quadriplegic and have Christ than be healthy and not have Jesus. That's humbling. How do we do this? Your attitude and your mind must change. Your priorities in life must change. You need to give your time, your talents, and your gifts. Give yourselves over for the work of Christ in serving, in witnessing your homes. This is what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that God is working for you, that we may be found holy and blameless before him. But I have to speak to you, my unbelieving friends, those of you who do not know Christ yet. The only work required of you is to believe on the work of Jesus Christ. What God requires of you, he will put in you. 
and it is to believe what Jesus did on that cross. And on that cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he promises all who will come to him, he will cast away none. To you, being holy, being blameless, loving your brethren will mean absolutely nothing unless the work of Christ has begun in you. But I want to leave also those of you who perhaps are not moving forward to be challenged by this. Why not? Why aren't you moving forward? Please examine where you are with Christ. Because if God is working in us and we don't belong, praise God, to a church who does not show love, teach love, preach love, church life. We don't belong to a church that doesn't teach any of these things. We belong to a church that faithfully preaches what the Bible says. So we know that truth. And if that truth is inside of us, then what are we doing about it? I just want to leave you with that to examine what am I doing with this truth? What did you do with Philippians 2 12 to 13 today? Was it just hearing of the word of God? You take it home and you go, Wow, Ralph was emotional. Great. Something to do with work, something about salvation, something about God. That's working absolutely nothing out. Please, I beg of you that you will examine your own heart. Don't think John needs to hear it, or Young needs to hear it, or Pam, or Kirsty, or, you know, that person needs to hear it. We all need to hear this. I heard this before I gave it to you. I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And I thank God He's at work in me. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is so precious to us. It's so alive. This is not a book of stories. It is the book of life. It is the book of Christ from beginning to end. Oh, Lord, may we see a perfect example, Christ, that we will outdo one another and work out work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That the reflection of that working out will, will be revealed amongst the brethren. That we don't work out for the sake of showing off that we're holy. And to whom? May it never be. That I will be holy in my own home or by myself in my own room between me and Jesus. That's not what you called us to do, Father. But if there will be no people on earth, I would want to be holy. I would want to be blameless and serve you, Christ, alone. But you put us in a family, Father. As we even read the covenant this morning. May that resonate in our mind. That we would outdo one another in service and love. That Christ will be exalted. Our desire is to to magnify Christ in his little body of people. And our desire is that for those who do not know you, O Lord, that you will give them ears to hear the wonderful truth of Christ. For it is impossible for them to save themselves. 
but it is possible with you. So we leave our unbelieving friends in your hands, Father, and we pray that you do a work in them that will bring forth fruit of repentance, perhaps 30, 60, or 100 fold.